Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God. It's our desire to study the Scriptures, search them, to be able to decide what it is that we believe, rather than trying to get the Bible to prove what we believe. Our first question today comes from someone who asked me, if the chosen was added again. Uh, obviously, they felt a little bit negative about it. And here recently, this is Gay Pride Month, and they had a cameraman that had a uh, Gay Pride flag on his equipment. And um, although there's been a couple of things about the chosen that I question, I'll share what that is here in just a moment. I think when it comes to a show that is using people who are secular and allowing them to display in their workspaces what they want to display is totally fine. I don't see a problem with that. I realize that a lot of people do. Um, it's, it's a show and a program about Jesus, but you really want to reach people that are lost. And this really hits on something um, that I think is very important for us to understand. And that is that we are ambassadors for Christ wherever we go. And we're not ambassadors for those who already know the Lord. We're ambassadors for those who don't know the Lord. And so showing politeness, um, not making a big deal about what they are displaying as long as it isn't immodest or somehow um, in itself immoral, uh, you could you could try, someone try to make the argument that the the flag is immoral, but I don't, I'm, I'm talking about something that would just be immoral on its own surface. Then we want to be able to reach people for Christ. And so I listened uh, to what Dallas Jenkins had to say about this, and I completely agreed with him by the time uh, that it was all said and done. Our real goal is to show Christ and to reveal Him, and I think sometimes we choose especially if we don't have anybody close to us that we're dealing with that is is in one of these areas, secular areas, where we as Christians don't want to be involved in. We don't really see clearly how to share Christ with them. And first of all, it is truly by demonstrating the love of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, by having a program where you have secular people who are going to work on it, letting those secular people be themselves, I think is an important thing to do. And I've shared before that I am concerned about the Mormon influence that the chosen may have, um, that the executive director, one of the executive directors is a Mormon, that VidAngel was founded by, by Mormons. Um, I'm hoping that it is not a Trojan horse to be able to get into the church. And here's where Dallas Jenkins said that he believed that the God, that the Jesus of Mormons and the Jesus of Christianity were the same, that he believed that they loved the same Jesus. And of course, uh, in Mormonism, Jesus is a created being by Elohim, who is a created being that progressed to be God. And Jesus progressed to be God as one of the spirit babies of Elohim and mother, whatever, whatever they call the mother in the situation, and is the brother of Lucifer, and that Lucifer was created as well. And both of them achieved, and Jesus achieved to Godhood. And this is not the same Jesus we serve. We serve the creator of the universe. We serve the one who, um, the one who is God from the beginning, uh, who is uh, in, equal to God, and in, in, is God, equal to God, the same in essence, but three in persons. And that's the God whom we serve. In Hebrews chapter one, God calls him God, to which of the angels did he ever say, today I have begotten you. And uh, to, but to the son he says, but which of the angels say, to the son he says, today I have begotten you, and uh, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So we do not serve the same Jesus. Um, also, I think that when we look at the chosen, one of the things that could cause us some difficulty is that they are they are often have things that are not in the Bible. There, they have to plug in certain things that happen, and that's okay. If you're doing that artistically, sometimes you got to save time. Sometimes you got to make decisions. But when you put things in that kind of go against, I'm, that's what concerns me. Go, go against what the Bible says. For example, with Matthew trying to help Jesus write the Sermon on the Mount, or Jesus practicing the Sermon on the Mount. 
I, I, I don't know if I would put those things in. They're decisions that they have to make. But when it comes to this latest uh, event of them showing this clip. Now, now some have said, well, they've released this clip. They were the ones that released the clip on Pride Month and had the Pride flag in it. And all you can do there is say, you know what? You just gotta, you just gotta love believes all things. And you gotta believe that they didn't do that on purpose. But their desire is to reach the lost. And I respect that. I respect the desire to have people come together to work on a project. Um, in a church, you, you wouldn't have that because you have the people that are in a church that all have the same heart and the idea that's why they're serving at a church. So you just would not have the same thing. Um, there are, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, I'm, um, that there is no uh, Trojan horse trying to bring Mormonism into Christianity. I do know that Mormonism said in the beginning, the, uh, Joseph Smith, that the rest of Christianity is anathema, and I'm bringing back true Christianity. But now Mormonism wants to know as a be known as a sect of Christianity. But we know the things that make for someone being a Christian, and what Mormons say does not do that. All right. So um, it's good to see you guys here. Good to have you joining us uh, for our Q&A. If you have a question, you can ask a question about anything having to do with the Christian life. Um, I love nuances uh, that may cause a lot of thinking that has to take place. Um, the Bible, uh, problems in the Bible, prophecy, um, how you might be able to talk to someone around you who's atheist, any of those kind of things. Um, uh, uh, we'd love to be able to bring those up. Our first question comes from Psychman today. Psychman45 says, um, If love does not boast nor seek its own, cast out fear, then we see a guy with fear, his master boasts about seeking his own, can we, can we say he is unloving? Like the guy in Matthew 24, 24 and 25. All right, so um, are we talking about a parable here, Psych Man? Is that what we're, what we're talking about? Uh, let's go and take a look at Matthew 24, 24 and 25. 24 and 25. Um, 24, 24. No, we're not. Uh, no. Um, the guy who fears his master boasts about seeking his own. Matthew 24 and 25. Um, Matthew 24, 24, and 25. Let me see. I, um, but false Christ and false prophets will arise, showing great signs and wonders, desiring, if possible, to even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Um, psych man, I'm not sure that's the right reference, or have I got the wrong reference here? Let me just double check this again. Matthew 24, 24, and 25. I don't think... That's the correct reference. If you want to try to get me the correct reference, I'd be able to, I, I would want to take a look at that. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, let's go ahead and see if we've got another question in here so far. Again, thank you guys for joining us. If you're joining us for the first time, we really hope that you guys are blessed by the time that you spend here. If you have a question, then you can write the question, uh, reread it a couple times, make sure it makes sense, and then add any references in. Uh, that reveal that show uh, that that we can uh, go to the reference and bring it up. I also do really encourage follow-up questions. Um, we can discuss things through here, and I like this format of us being able to do that. Um, so um, we have a question from Kimberly. Kimberly says, "Are you sure that current Mormon doctrine, Glenn Bluck refers to Jesus as God?" I am absolutely positive that is. Um, current Mormon doctrine, uh, Kimberly, positive. Um, now, an individual who is Mormon, who believes Jesus is God and rejects the basic tenets of Mormonism, but remains a Mormon, I, I, I don't know. God's just going to have to judge that person. I would, I would not want to judge them. Um, but you would wonder, why would you stay as a Mormon, if you're going to deny the basic tenets of Mormonism, and and on top of that, let's let's just think about this, Kimberly. Actually, as I think it through, um, Glenn Beck refers to Jesus as God. Um, yeah, they believe Jesus is God. They believe that that Jesus progressed to be God. 
that he was born as a spear baby um, and that he matured and progressed to being God and then came to this earth. So, yeah, this is, this is the problem that a lot of cults use the same terminology with a different dictionary. So, in Mormonism, you can progress to be God. In someone today, a man can progress to be God today in Mormonism. So, yes, I'm sure about it. It's just, and, and you can say it. And, and, and when uh, two elders will come to your door, Kimberly, they will say, uh, we believe Jesus is God. Uh, we believe in being saved. We believe that he died for our sins. So, unless you know the terminology that they're using and the way they're dis using that deceptive terminology, then you end up believing what they believe. So, yes, Kimberly, I'm 100% positive that that is Kerman, uh, current Mormon theology that they teach and, and have always taught and have not repented from. Uh, they, they, Moroni gave them the tablets, uh, Christianity was anathema, and they have what is true, and you progress to be Mormon. All right? So, thank you very much, Kimberly, for your question. I appreciate that. Um, Jari has a question. Uh, Jari, good to see you. Jari says, uh, is it true that we are to love people unconditionally, even if they love us conditionally? Thanks for, uh, thanks for the follow-up of last week's un, uh, right, unconditional love of God. Yeah, so our first question in uh, last uh, Wednesday's Bible study was whether or not God loved unconditionally. And the Bible tells us that God demonstrated his love for us, that when we were yet sinners, he died for us. So there wasn't any condition there. Um, it says that, um, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We pointed out a couple passages that it says that God began to hate, or there I hated them, or that God hates all those who work iniquity. And that is, a, that is God becoming God's enemy rather than hating them. So your question, Jari, if we should, if we have to love people unconditionally, even if we love conditionally, um, thanks for the follow-up. So let's think about what the Bible tells us to do. Um, the Bible tells us to love our enemies. The Bible tells us that without love, we are nothing. And so I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. I just want to read the first three verses here, um, Jari. It says, um, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. So the first one here is that even though I have the tongues of men and angels, and remember, 1 Corinthians 13 is between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, which talk about the gift of tongues. And so the gift of tongues being used, even if you speak with the tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, you're just making noise. And though you have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, that's a tremendous amount of faith, any mountain in your life, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So if we are to love our enemies, which are the most extreme, and we are to to be men and women who love as God is love, then yeah, we have, to, we have to love and we have to love unconditionally. Now, loving unconditionally, God loves us unconditionally, but he's still going to judge people, right? God loves the world. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he's still going to judge people. And so in our lives, when someone is involved that is not edifying for us, if we're involved with someone that instead of instead of being edifying would would tear us down, we may distance ourselves from them. It doesn't mean at that point that we don't love them. It just means that we might have to make some decisions about certain people. This is not good for my faith. It's not good for me to be around that person. Again, it doesn't mean that I don't love them. Love doesn't mean unconditionally allowing anybody access to your life or that you have to spend so much time with someone. That's not what love means. Love means that you have made a decision that you're going to love them and care about them, not behave rudely. All of the list of the things that we talked about before about what love is. All right. Thank you, Jari. I appreciate that. Uh, and again, if you're visiting here with us for the first time, really good to have you here. 
Um, let's see. We have a question. Well, we have a, a statement from Kimberly. Kimberly, good to see you. Kimberly says, um, Pastor, I kind of disagree with you on that you wouldn't have that if you were a church for the simple reason you couldn't control who's cars in the parking lot having stickers on the wrong them uh wrong cannot um yeah having stickers on them so yeah okay kim, uh yes kim I, I yeah i understand that we're gonna have people at the church and um for example for a while we had a few couples that were coming who were who were homosexual and they were putting arms around each other during the services and a few of our people got really upset and they came to me and they said, what should we do? And I said, let them alone, get to know them, talk to them a little bit. It was obvious that they weren't coming as part of the membership of the church, but it was obvious that they were coming to see if they could get us upset so that we would respond in a way that they could then bring accusations. But instead, we prayed for them. We prayed that God would open up the door I preached directly. I didn't change my message when we got to the topic of sexuality. Didn't change our message at all. Just kept doing what we were doing. And um, even though it was upsetting to somewhere sitting around them, it was a bit testing there. So I'm not saying that everybody that comes to the church is going to be, is going to be saved. I'm saying those who work at the church have a commitment to Christ. If someone applies for a church job and does so in order to get the job to be who's not a Christian to be able to do things that are not Christian, then I don't think that we have an obligation to hire them. And if I if if we if what we were doing at the church, um, well, for example, if we hire a food truck to come into the church afterwards, and they had a pride flag in the window of their food truck. We wouldn't say anything to them. And I would hope that all of the people that were going up to it would also be kind and loving and caring. Because if they came to people being rude to them because they had some a pride sticker on their car, then would we really be caring about that individual? And I think that we just need to think this these things through. It's the same reason that I don't think boycotting uh, boycotting a company to try to hurt them financially is what Christians should be doing. At least not in the name of Christianity. I shared this a, a couple of weeks ago. If I make a decision that I'm not going to go to the store because the store has a line of clothing for children um, that that is inappropriate, and I decide, you know, I'm going to shop somewhere else. As a Christian, I can do that. However, organizing as Christians something that's going to hurt them financially. I wonder about that because I think it hurts our ability to be able to share with them. Yes, we're shining as lights for Christ and we do that everywhere we go. Um, there's are plenty of people who individually will go, you know what, I'm not going to go to that store without us having to organize something as a church and making that organization think that the church is trying to hurt them. What they're doing is hurting them with people who are Christians and when they find that out, they're not going to go. But I don't know about a complete and total follow-up. I mean, I don't, I don't, sorry, I looked at the word follow-up and it came out. Um, I don't know about um, Christians organizing um, um, to be able to, uh, to, to get people to not go to a certain store. I just find that to be, be problematic. And the same thing is true if someone were to come with a food, group, uh, food truck at our church and had the gay flag on there or the, the pride flag on there, um, I would hope that we would be loving and caring. We want to see them come to Christ. This is, look, there's, there's, there's all sexual sin is sexual sin. And we want people who are involved in sexual sin to come to Christ and to repent and make things right. And so that's why I said, I agree with what um, Dallas Jenkins said about allowing someone to be there that has their own, you know, I mean, hopefully by working on the set, they would be moved, they are exposed to the message of the gospel, they would be moved and it would be very powerful. It might mean something completely different if they made them take it off instead of just allowing them to have it there. All right, so thank you. Uh, we have a question up. 
a question, follow-up. Did you get the right passage, segment that we were going to look at? Uh, if we cannot see Cain's lack of love seeking his own in his response to God's punishment decree, in 1 Corinthians 13, 3 explains why his sacrifice was rejected. Okay? Let's just take a look at that. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. 13, 3. Okay, so you're asking, if we cannot see Cain's lack of love, seeking his own, which I think he was, right? In his response to God's punishment decree, can 1 Corinthians 13 explain why his sacrifice was rejected? All right, let's take a look. Thank you. Uh, psych man, let's take a look at that. So this is... um. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. He says, um, it says, I am nothing, and if I have bestowed my goods to feed the poor and gave my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. I don't know, it's probably me, psych man, but I'm, I'm missing the connection or the question. Let me just read through it one more time. Um, follow up. All right, if we cannot see Cain's lack of love seeking his own in the response to God's punishment decree, can First Corinthians explain why his sacrifice was rejected? Okay, so was his sacrifice rejected because um, he was giving gifts but didn't have love? I see, I see the connection. And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor and give my body to bear, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Um, could Cain have been self-seeking when he gave his gift and that's why God rejected it? I certainly think it's a possibility. I don't know if there's any way for us to know what God meant when he said, if you do good, uh, your gift will be accepted. But I think that is definitely a possibility um, that he was seeking his own and not really desiring uh, to give things to God. All right, um, so Kimberly continues on with our conversation about The Chosen. She says this is the third company that he's working with. This is a third com party company, so a third party company, right, um, that he's working with. And the guy comes on set even every now and then and has the gear on his cameras and Dallas noticed it, but didn't tell him that he couldn't bring it on set. Correct. They were coming on from someone else that they had hired to be able to do the filming and... Um, he was not going to tell him that he shouldn't, couldn't have that on set. And I put myself in his position of filming a show about Christ and someone comes on set to film and they've got the pride flag on their gear. I'm not going to tell him to take it off. I'm wanting to see this guy come to Christ. I'm not wanting to all of a sudden make this big opposition or distance between us. I want his heart to be soft and open to the gospel. And, um, and that's my desire. Now, could God do it some other way? Maybe, but that's, I just, I, I agree with him um, after listening to his response. All right. So I appreciate that. So uh, let's see, we have another question, a follow-up from Jari. Um, Jari says, a follow-up, why is Dallas Jenkins compromised when he is the son of Left Behind author? Kirk Cameron no longer believes in pre-trib and other people as well no longer believe. <clears throat> All right, so let me, let me read this a little slower so if I can get this all broken down, Jari. Um, why is Dallas Jenkins compromised when he is the son of the Left Behind author? I don't think he is compromised because of that. Is he? I'm not sure, I'm not sure what you mean, Jari. Again, could be me. Kirk Cameron no longer believes in pre-trib. Okay, that's fine. Um, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, um, post-millennial, all-millennial are all believers. What we believe about the return of Christ, as long as we believe that Jesus is returning, is a secondary issue and would never cause me to break fellowship with anyone over anything they believe about the second coming of Christ. I believe the Bible clearly teaches certain things, but there are secondary issues. And we are a much larger family of Christians that have different beliefs. And, um, you know, I probably stand against post-millennialism or as far, I'm as far away from post-millennialism as I can get. The idea that we're going to make the world better and better and better and hand a Christianized world over to Jesus. But I still fellowship, love, and have a good, good relationships with those that I know that are post-millennial. Uh, 
Um, I've had Christian friends who believe that God does not have, does not all knowing, that God doesn't know the future. And I saw no reason to break fellowship over that. I think he's wrong, but I, I saw no reason to break fellowship over that. I'm not going to go, Jari, um, you don't believe the way I believe, and so now we're no longer going to, you know, hang out together. Or I'm not going to, you know, see you as a Christian brother anymore. And um, you go on to say, um, and other people as well no longer believe. Yeah, well, that's true. But there's a lot of people who do believe in the pre-tribulation rapture now who didn't used to believe in it. So um, I don't know. I don't know whether it's falling out of favor or not. But whether or not something is in favor is not the litmus test for whether it's true. For us, knowing whether something is true or not, we want to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. All right? So thank you very much, Jari, for your question. I appreciate that. Um, let's see. Yeah, and I, 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 agree, I agree with you, Kimberly. Kimberly continues to talk about she wouldn't tell a contractor that had a sticker on their ladder that they couldn't work on their house. Right. We just, you know, any interaction that we want there, um, we want to um, we want to share Christ and we want to love him. And, and um, you know, we're talking about um, Glenn Black. The whole truth says, sadly, Glenn Black, Beck is Mormon. And, and that is true. Uh, he is. And um, I just say, hey, you know what? He's high profile. We have a lot of Christians praying for him. And he has interaction with a lot of Christians. So the, the truth is out there and really could make a difference. All right. So um, let me see if I'm getting, maybe if I missed the reference there, Psych Man. I, gotta, I think we got a little bit of clarity here. If, if love does not boast nor seek its own or cast out fear, then, then we see a guy who fears his master and boasts about seeking his own. Can we say is unloving like, oh, Matthew 25, 24 and 25. Well, let's go there. Take a look at that. Thank you, Psych Man, for that clarification. 25, 24 and 25, which is, yeah, I kind of thought this was the reference you were talking about, the parable, right? So, um... Let me just make, take a look at this and make sure it's the parable I'm thinking it is. Uh, yeah, the parable of the talents. All right. So then we get to verses 20, 24 and 25. Thank you, Psych Man. I appreciate that. Let me go ahead and put this up on the screen and we'll take a look at it. So then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered the seed. I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So he says he was afraid, but he knew that he received where he didn't reap. So he poured it, so he sowed it in the ground. Um, he just wasn't doing anything with the talent that he'd been given, which is money, okay? Um, look, you have what is yours. But the Lord answered him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. So he calls him lazy. He was lazy. He said he feared, but he was lazy. Uh, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received my own back with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For everyone who has, more will be given. And to him, uh, we'll have abundance. But from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away from and cast um, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so let's come back to your question, Psych Man. Let's go here. Okay, if love does not boast, nor seek its own, or cast out fear, then we see a guy who fears his master boast about seeking his own, can we say he is unloving like the guy in Matthew 24? Um, so I'm, I'm hesitant to try to make a connection because I don't know what other nuances there might be. In then we see a guy who fears his master and boasting about seeking his own. Can we say he is unloving? Um, 
fears. I don't think. I don't think he generally feared his master. Um, boast about seeking his own. Um, I would be hesitant to make a comparison, uh, just in general, to somebody else. So I. I yeah. I don't know. I'm just going to have to give you an I don't know on that. Um, if the guy's identical to the guy in the parable, um, was the guy unloving? I would think. If that's the question, was the guy unloving by not sharing the talent that he was given? Did he not love his master because of that? You lazy and wicked servant. Yeah, I think he was unloving. He was unloving. Um, I would have to see the comparison and the nuances of the comparison before I could say that we could say someone else. I mean, if he's identical, yeah, certainly. But I'm, I'm assuming if it's somebody different, there would be some different... Um, things that would be there. All right. So thank you very much, Psych Man. I appreciate that. So uh, let's see what else we have here. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, for those of you who are new here, we hope that the Lord really blesses you. Um, so um, Hunter Watson has a question, what do Mormons believe that us Christians don't? Thanks, Hunter, I appreciate your question. Uh, a lot of things. They believe that Elohim was a man on another planet, planet that progressed to godhood, was able to be given his own planet, planet has a wife, has spirit babies to populate this planet, and that somehow Jesus progressed to be God. So it's progression. He progressed to be God. And Satan also progressed, but not to be God. They were two of the most achieving of the spirit babies, and they are brothers. But that's true about every other person on earth. We would all be brothers with Jesus. So the Bible doesn't teach any of that. The um, Mormons teach that these spirit babies are created and then later on put on earth. The Bible never teaches any of that. We are created by God when God makes us here. Um, there are a lot of other things, Hunter, that the Mormon church believes that are different. Um, they believe in the Book of Mormon. They believe in the Doctrine of Covenants. Uh, they don't put the, the scriptures, the Bible, the scriptures that you and I as Christians follow and believe which are the 27 books of the New Testament that were recognized early by Christians and the um, rest, 39 books of the Old Testament. Is that right? The right number? Uh, 39 books of the Old Testament uh, that the Jews believed were their scripture. They don't put them on the same level that we do. Um, there are, um, they believe that they have to do certain works to be able uh, to make it into, into heaven. Uh, so there's just so many things. They are so different than um, than Christians. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. If you have any more specifics, I may be able to give you um, some specifics. All right. So um, let's take a look here. It's good to have you guys joining us. If you have a question, then you can write the word question down and then write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, make sure that everything's spelled correct, and then go ahead and submit it. Uh, we'll take your question on and we will take a look at it. Uh, let's see. Let's, um, okay, I don't think that's a question. All right, let's just go ahead. Okay, um, we have a question from John, John Doe. John says, question, does the Bible say if there are some people beyond reach, meaning are some people too far lost to be saved? I ask because a family having no, um, heavy into drugs and lifestyle that comes with it. Thank you, John. I really appreciate that. I'm going to go ahead and bring your question down here. Although we have, um, I'm able to still see your question. All right. Um, so, yeah. Um, are, is there anyone that is beyond reach? Certainly not a sinner. Um, there's Jesus went to the cross, endured the shame of the cross 
died for our sins and there is no sin that cannot be forgiven, that isn't confessed. So, if you're talking about someone who is um, heavy into drugs, lifestyle that comes with it, uh, that may be into any other, any other, any anything else can be forgiven. Um, there have been, um, who was it who wrote Amazing Grace? Uh, somebody can refresh my memory with that. I'll probably think about it before I'm done with the story. Um, but he actually worked on a slave ship and um, later on became a Christian and wrote Amazing Grace that he could work on a slave ship and that God would forgive him and um, that saved a wretch like me. And, and he talked about that. Now, is there anybody that cannot be um, reached? So there's a couple of passages, one of them in Hebrews chapter 6, which talks about someone that had a lot of knowledge, at, at the very least, a lot of knowledge. And let me see if I can pull this up here and find it. Um, but at least a lot of knowledge. Yeah, here we go. So let me go ahead to, to verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 6. And a lot of different people believe a lot of different things about this passage, but it can be helpful to us. Um, it says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted of heavenly gifts, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Notice the word fall away there. A lot of people would say you can't, you know, lose your salvation. You can't fall away. You make a deliberate decision uh, to walk in. I don't know if it's always deliberate or not. Uh, to renew them again to repentance. So what this person can't do is come back to repentance, John. So, they can't come back to repentance. Now, I don't know, I don't think that this person is a person who was saved before. Um, I think that this person is like the scribes and Pharisees who had, uh, like the Pharisees that had, and scribes that had all the information they needed to know that Jesus was the Messiah and didn't receive him. And that there is a line that someone can cross when they have a lot of information, like the Pharisees, and they rejected Jesus. It wasn't saying that, it wasn't the blasphemy of saying that Jesus was doing works miracles by Beelzebub. That was the unforgivable sin. It was their continued and complete rejection. Until finally Jesus spoke in parables, so seeing they would not see. So someone who knows a lot, has a lot of light and continues to reject Jesus can get to the place where they are beyond reach. Who that is, I don't know. How exactly that works out, I don't know. I can't judge if a person has crossed that line or not. I would say if you are a person that has a lot of information about Jesus, you're listening to this and you continue to reject him, I would say I would be worried that you might cross a line someday that you would be beyond being able to be saved. But as far as your family members know, John, pray for them, seek God, look for open doors. God's got to do something, right? But God's got to do something in order for anybody to get saved. God had to do something for me to get saved, and God has to do something for you uh, to get saved. And so God's got to do something. And I have family members that I'm praying for, that I'm praying that God would do a work on. Um, I realize I can't do it. I realize that God has to do it. But remember, that's the case with us always. One man sows, another man reaps, and God gives the increase. Paul said, Apollos watered, I sowed, and God gave the increase. So God's the one who causes people to get saved. And so you pray for them. And there's no one that you can say, he's out of reach, I'm gonna wash my hands of that individual because we have no idea when anyone crosses the line. Somebody that has a lot of information has fallen away, looked at least looked like they were following the Lord and fallen away, may very well have crossed that line. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, working for uh, John MacArthur for a lot of years, there's a guy who fell away. And John MacArthur, because he believes the ones they'd always saved, said, well, he was never a believer, even though he was on staff and looked like he followed the Lord and walked after the Lord. 
that he was never saved. And this is one of the reasons, another one is somebody who worked for Billy Graham and then ended up becoming an atheist. And he has a lot of information, knows a lot of things. Is it possible that these guys have crossed a line and are not able to come back? I think, yes, it's possible. Do I know that? No, because I don't know where that line is. Only God knows where the line is. But these guys had a lot of information. They fell away. If they fall away, it's possible to bring them back to repentance. Um, have they crossed that line? I don't know. Only God, only God is the one who is able to know. But that's the kind of person, not somebody who's in sin. Every kind of sinner has been saved, involved in all kinds of things they should not be involved in, and um, do not. So, so yeah, any any sin can be forgiven. Um, so Hunter says again, do um, do Mormons believe in our God, our good? But I think you mean God. No, the God of Mormons is different than the God of Christians. For um, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existence, existed. The Bible says that he is, Jesus is the essence of God. And that no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten has revealed him to us. Jesus, the God, the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three God, and Mormons do not serve the same God. Their Elohim, our God, our Elo, Elohim, our God, has, oh, Yahweh, has always existed will always exist, is loving and good and righteous and just. Their God was a man who achieved to become a God. So that's a big difference. All right, Hunter? Um, and hopefully that makes sense. Um, if you have specific questions about the, the God of Mormonism, but no, the God of Mormonism does not. And, and it doesn't take much to find this out. I mean, all you have to do is you gotta, you gotta trust where you're searching, but all you have to do is just search that question out. Is the God of the Mormons the same as the God of Christians? And you're gonna find the differences between the two. Um, I even think going on um, Wikipedia, Mormonism Wikipedia, you'd be able to read down there and see the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. In fact, I think that Galatians chapter 1 applies greatly to this. So Galatians 1 talks about um, if anyone uh, comes to you teaching you uh, anything that is different than what you've already believed, then let him be accursed. Let me just bring this up on the screen for you. So um, Paul had brought the gospel to the Galatians. They had brought an idea that they have to become circumcised or they have to keep the Jewish law in order to be saved. And so Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you uh, in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. Gospel means good news. It's not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, that would include Moroni bringing Joseph Smith, who who added to the Bible to put himself into it that had false prophecies. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what you have, um, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So they bring you a different gospel and have said that Christians are accursed because they're not bringing the genuine gospel. Um, so it is completely and totally uh, different. Hopefully um, you get that. Uh, Mormons preach another gospel, yeah, uh, which I just read. Thank you, the whole truth, for bringing that up. All right, um, why would you base your salvation on such a religion when you can trust and read the Bible? Yeah. Um, all right, so TC1 says, a person with Alzheimer's and doesn't know Jesus, can they still be reached uh, to be saved if they don't have any comprehension? Um, difficult question, TC1. God would know that they had Alzheimer. God loved them. God gave them light. God gave them creation. God gave them inwardly something that they would know that they were, that they would know and believe in him and they reject him. Then they get Alzheimer's. Um, can, can someone with Alzheimer's receive Christ? What would stop somebody with Alzheimer's from saying, Lord, I want you in my life? 
Remember, I don't believe that we have to have a Christian with us to be able to. I don't think we have to have a Christian with us to be able to make a commitment to Christ, TC. So, um, I think of my father that had Lou Gehrig's disease brought me up in the Methodist church and the Methodist church that I went to basically taught if you believe in the existence of God, then you're saved. Um, I got saved at that church by a youth pastor who led several of his kids to Christ, but then got fired because he did that. Because he was teaching against the basic teaching of this particular Methodist church. Um, and Methodist churches haven't always taught this and not all of them teach it, but this one uh, did. That believing God exists is how you say you believe God exists, so you're okay. You're saved. I was baptized in the Methodist Church, so I was okay. Um, but my dad, I remember, had, had um, Lou Gehrig's disease, and I remember walking by his room where he's just laying on his bed staring at the ceiling. And that gives me some hope today that I'll see my dad again because I think all he had to do was make things right with God there. I think of the thief on the cross, remember me when you enter into paradise. And I think about someone saying, I want you, I wanna live for you. And maybe they don't know the little catchphrases that we find in scripture, but it's the matter of a heart and the expression. And so I think someone with Alzheimer's could make a commitment to Christ and be saved. Um, you say, well, what if they don't remember it later on? Well, I, you know what? God does. So um, God knows the heart of an individual and what they're asking at a certain point in time. Our God is a loving God who died on the cross for people to receive him. And I think uh, that could be a possibility. All right. So thank you, TC1. I appreciate that. Um, so uh, Empress Kimberly says, Jews do not believe in Jesus, but they worship the same God as us. Yes, but they cannot be saved unless they believe in Jesus, right? Correct. But the Bible says all of Israel will be saved. I'm confused. All right, so um, let's talk this through. Kimberly, I appreciate your question. I'm going to go and take your question down here, but I'm going to, I have it up so I can see it. All right. So um, I'm going to take you to Romans. And we're going to go ahead and start there. So let's think about, it's, it's interesting, when you start looking into Judaism, you find out that their belief in one God is that there could be several persons in one God. That those in Judaism are not as appalled at the idea of the Trinity as we might think. They're appalled at Jesus, to be sure, but they believe, even in certain parts of Kabbalah, which I admit I don't understand completely. Um, I've had someone Jewish tell me that it's not Jewish mysticism. I still wonder about that. Uh, it was one of the guides that we had when we were in Israel, and I was trying to figure out from him, what is Kabbalah? Explain it to me. And it sounded like Jewish mysticism, but in Kabbalah, there's as many as 10 different entities that make up the one God. Maybe more. I think that some parts of, of Kabbalah could even have more than that. So, in the Old Testament, we clearly see more than one power that's in heaven. We see, we see in um, Daniel chapter 7, the Ancient of Days on the throne, and we see the Son of God coming in the clouds of glory, given power, dominion, kingdom forever and ever. We see that um, that the angel of the Lord that speaks from the burning bush speaks as God and about God. So, speaking of Yahweh and as Yahweh. We see the same thing when the angel of the Lord uh, refer, uh, shows up to Gideon. We see in chapter 1, let us create man in our own image. Let us go down and see what they're doing when they're building the Tower of Babel. So, it's not as foreign in the Old Testament as we think, okay? So, they reject Jesus, who is their Messiah. And, and it says in is it Malachi that unto you, Bethlehem, you Pathrath, though you are small among the nations, out of you will come one who will rule my people, whose days are from everlasting. So their rejection is not of God the Father, but of who the Messiah was. 
and salvation comes through receiving the Messiah. So, let me show you this passage here in Romans chapter 11. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant. So, this is something, Kimberly, that a lot of people are ignorant of, and God doesn't want us to be ignorant of, um, of this mystery. And it is a mystery. So, having some confusion isn't surprising about a mystery. Mysteries are hard to understand. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So, blindness in part has happened to them. We know the God of this world blinds the eyes of those who do not believe. It doesn't say all of Israel has been blinded, but blindness in part. So, there are Jews who do believe and receive Jesus as their Messiah. They are Christians, even though they might not refer to themselves as Christians. They may refer to themselves as completed Jews or Messianic Jews. Uh, because of the history between Christians and Jews, some of it ungodly on Christian side, some of it ungodly on Jewish side, the Jewish side, um, then you've got, you know, Jewish Christians who don't want to say they're Christians, but they do get saved. Uh, Joel Rosenberg, a friend of mine, um, other Jews that I know who are saved and who are Christians. I think of Steve Schmidt, who used to pastor a church here now, um, who works on The Chosen periodically. Um, uh, he is a Jew who has gotten saved. And so, blindness in part has happened until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, I have a question. Kimberly, has the fullness of the Gentiles come in yet? We know that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So, could we say the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, but the fullness hasn't come in yet? And then it says, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them, when I will make uh, that I will take away their sins. So God promises that all of Israel is going to be saved when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. The tribulation period in Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it, it is a day of, of indignation or a day of wrath, and uh, Israel will be saved out of it. So during the tribulation period, then the nation of Israel is going to receive Christ and is going to end up being saved. And they are going to be saved out of it. Let me just show you this passage. It says, uh, Alas, for the day is great, and there is none like it. It is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now, Jacob had his name changed to Israel. And so, that day is, uh, is a great day, um, meaning a great day, meaning horrible, and none is like it. So, a time of Jacob's trouble, but they'll be saved out of it. And you remember that God takes Israel with, with wings of an eagle and takes them into the middle of the, the wilderness and protects them for three and a half years. And then they will be the ones that populate the earth during the millennium. So, all of Israel will be saved when they receive Jesus as their Messiah. There is no other name given under heaven whereby man can be saved. So, they can't be saved just because they believe in Yahweh, they have to believe in Jesus as the Messiah to be completely saved. So, let me just take a look at your question here again, make sure I got it all. Um, Jews do not believe in Jesus, but they worship the same God, and we are Judeo-Christian, meaning that, that the Yahweh of the Old Testament is the God we serve, but they cannot be saved unless they believe in Jesus, right, because no other name is given under heaven where they, by they can be saved. But the Bible says all of Israel will be saved. And that's the whole idea. They will be saved when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And if somehow I wasn't clear enough, Kimberly, ask a follow-up question. I'd be happy uh, to go ahead and follow up with you on that. All right. So, um, let's see. We have a follow-up by Jari. So, so Jari says, um, follow-up about modesty. I don't fully understand why Adam and Eve covering up had someone say people who desire modesty are more vulnerable to attacks. Is the heart not the body? Um, yeah, I would... If I'm understanding what you're saying, Jari, I, I would not... Um, I would not agree with them. Um, so, you... If if you if it's kind of like when I was um, when I was a kid, I was 19 years old, 
friend of ours went to go see a movie, Teen Lust. Called Teen Lust, of all things. What a movie. And um, then when we confronted him on it, he said, well, I don't have a problem with, with lust, so I, I could go to any movie I want to about that. But a person that didn't have a problem with lust wouldn't want to go see a movie called Teen Lust. They wouldn't go to it because they didn't have a problem with it. So, if he's saying that modesty is only for people who are, let's see, um, Adam and Eve covering up, um, someone said people who dress modestly are more vulnerable to attacks. So, I disagree with that completely. Um, I don't know who said it, um, and I'm glad I don't know because I disagree with that. I'm just going to say I disagree with that. Um, I think people that dressed modestly as opposed to immodest are godly. They're following the things that the Lord told them to do. Doesn't make them vulnerable at all. That's like saying someone who doesn't sin is more vulnerable uh, than someone else. Uh, doesn't make any sense to me at all. All right, so I don't know who said that, Jari, but I do not agree with that. All right, so um, it's been good being here with you guys today. I uh, hope that you have a great week, um, that the Lord really blesses you uh, this coming up week. Uh, we have a question from Kimberly Fox. Uh, Kimberly says, Pastor, isn't it, um, isn't that the unpardonable sin to know the Holy Spirit, experience His love, and then choose to turn away? Yes, that's the unpardonable sin. However, we don't know when someone has crossed that line. It's a line that's unseen, Kimberly. So we don't know when someone crosses it. Only God does. So, hey, I, I love the Lord. I walked with Him, was filled with the Spirit. And then at 18 years old, I totally turned away. And I walked away from Him for a year. And I completely walked away from Him. I was living on my own. I didn't want to follow God at all. I was angry with God uh, because of a couple of things that happened. The pastor of my church that I, I was, a, was a Pentecostal church, the pastor had an affair with the secretary. Another friend of mine had a, a mentor of mine had an affair and left his wife. And, and I said, if this is what Christianity is all about, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I completely walked away from the Lord. But God came and got me. Had someone declared six months into it, well, Robert used to know the Lord really well, knew the Bible really well, was able to defend it really well. Had been a Christian since he was 14 years old, and now he's walked away from God. And if you asked me, I would have said, I, got, I had a lot of venom. If you would have asked me and, and tried to persuade me, Kimberly, to come back to Christ, I would have said, you don't know what I've been through and that this happened, my pastor had an affair. You, pretty soon people are like, I'm not talking to him anymore. But God came and got me. He came and got me so that after, first of all, I took everything away from me. And then while I'm driving down the freeway, I just decide after my girlfriend broke up with me that I was going to turn over to the, uh, 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 the Christian radio station. And there's a song on there by Chuck Gerard called Little Pilgrim, walking down the road of life. You see that there are many others who are just like you. you take a little turn to the left. You see what that road has to offer you, but you've got to make it back to the main road anyhow to see um, and you got all that lost time to make up for. And it's a sad thing when you realize you're all alone again. Literally, I, 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 I cried in the car. The last line of the song says, it's a glad thing when you realize you found your way back home again. When I got home, got ready for bed, I laid down, stared up at the ceiling, and I said to God, okay, God, I'm done. No longer what I want, but whatever you want. Up until that point in my Christian life, I was thinking that God was going to help me be a better person, but now I just completely surrendered. And so, if you would have made that decision about me six months into it, even after you talked to me, well, he knew the Lord, he walked with the Lord, but then he walked away, so he must have committed the unforgivable sin, you would have declared me unforgiven. But I wasn't. And so, that's why we don't want to judge. That's where, that's the problem with judgment. God is big enough to say it. So I tell people, listen, if you say, I love God, but I don't want to keep his commandments, I say, that's a dangerous place to be. I'm not going to say you're not saved, but that's a dangerous place to be. So, um, 
Thank you very much. Um, I'll take a look at the rest of the questions that have come in um, in the um, log later on today. Uh, I appreciate you guys. I'll be looking for a first question for a future uh, Q&A. And um, like today, where we talked about the chosen, there might just be something that kind of comes up that I want to talk about in the very beginning of a session. So it might be that I just kind of come back just talking about things um, early on in um, in the session with some things that are happening, and then we'll go ahead and get into our Q&A. Uh, but may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Walk close to Christ. Um, love one another. Be kind tender-hearted. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. As Christians, believers, we're to interact with one another in kindness, in love, and um, uh, without love, it means nothing, right? We looked at the very beginning of our Q&A today. So, we have a service uh, in about an hour, in about an hour and 20 minutes, uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6, and we're going to see how the early church dealt with those who were impoverished among them, and we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and the poor. And there's a lot of people that go to what they call a social gospel today, that as long as you're re helping the poor, doing things for the poor, uh, then you're saved, but that's not what's happening. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit in our study um, here in just a little while. All right. Love you guys. God bless you. I'm out. We will see you later on.